Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I am coming to you from Seattle, Washington, which is home of Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Boeing, and an incredible startup ecosystem that rivals Silicon Valley. Each episode, I bring on friends and guests who are executives and business leaders from the local community and around the world to talk about a topic that we find very interesting. Please enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody, this is Eric Veal with the AppsChat Capable Communities Podcast, and this is a series about IT management. And for this series, I brought in a few friends from the local community and associates. I've got uh, Dave DeNoya, Don Alvarez, and Kafaya Dawood. And I'm very happy to have these people on the podcast with me. Dave is a former uh, co-worker at Microsoft. Don and I uh, collaborated together previously on a few projects and know each other through the local business community. And Kafai and I are new, new friends. Kafai used to work at Boeing for a really long time. And so I'm going to let each of them introduce themselves. And I'll start with Dave. Hi, uh, my name is Dave Denoya, and uh, I've been working in data and analytics for about 14 years now. I uh, worked at big companies, startups, and consulting, um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited about uh, this podcast uh, for you, Eric. And this is Don Alvarez. I uh, started out in tech with a PhD in physics and three trips to the South Pole, uh, after which the obvious next step was to go work for companies like Disney and Microsoft and so forth. Uh, at this point, I'm doing a uh, startup building software for filmmakers that is uh, cloud-based uh, innovative architecture for that uh, space. Great follow-up for me. This is Kifaya Dawood. I used to work at Boeing for seven years, did a lot of customer relations support for the global airlines. Prior to that, I did sales and hospitality and marketing. I'm very excited about talking to you guys and learning more about it. And for the next couple of months, I'm sort of dedicating my time to sort of enjoying Seattle's summer. I have not been able to do that since I came to America about 17 years ago. So this is a great time for me. Awesome. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. So again, this is Eric Veal with the AppShack Capable Communities podcast, and this is a series about IT management. All right, we're going to talk about security architecture now. Um, I'm Eric Veal, and I've got with me Dave and Don and Kafaya, and uh, we've been talking about IT. We're in our kind of IT series. We're uh, just over halfway through now, so this is three of four in a series. And uh, we want to dive into security architecture. To this point, we've talked about um, just kind of like how we get to this point where we have a proliferation of devices, pro proliferation of users. Uh, we have all this interest and need to use data, and it's so important for so many things and culture and change and politics and business and everything. And so we need all this stuff. And Don is going to lead us in a discussion about uh, security architecture based on some experiences he's recently had in helping with those types of issues. So uh, thank, thanks, Eric. And the place that I would start the conversation, since we're just rolling out of a series of conversations about big data, uh, distributed systems, uh, et cetera, is that there are an increasing number of organizations and businesses today that really can boil down to the data that that business has and the set of credentials that define that business. So uh, whether that's the SSL certificates 
that enable the HTTPS access to my website or the credentials that grant me the ability to control my Amazon uh, stored data or my Azure stored data or et cetera. Uh, if I lose control of that data or those credentials, that's really that's identity theft of my whole organization. That's complete loss of my business. And so that set of observations uh, led my company and lots of other folks to do a lot of thinking about how do we design our organization and our business and our technology around that. And uh, one of the places that we started was with uh, the idea of insider attacks as being one of the biggest risks that businesses face. Uh, yes, being hacked from the outside is, is dangerous, but uh, very commonly you are at much as risk from an insider attack uh, as you are from an external attack. And then we're going to go one step farther on this, and we're going to pull back in those words identity theft okay. and say that very commonly that insider attack may also be someone who is spoofing the identity of one of your insiders. <laughs> so for so that makes it an outside attack then? That looks so like an inside an, attack? Okay. Right. Inside so, attack? So, <laughs> so basically what this is getting at, so if you look at, uh, for instance, when Sony Pictures... Credentials yeah. to credentials. Yeah, the credential of the, your internal person goes to an outside person and now, okay, got it. Right. So when, so when Sony Pictures was massively hacked, that was an external attack but it was an external attack where they gained the credentials of insiders gotcha. and were able to use those credentials of the insiders to then exploit and sure. do enormous things. And, and so pulling all of that together, if you take a, uh, a somewhat paranoid approach to yourself and to your internal team and basically say, I know that I am going to be compromised. Okay. At some point in the history of my organization, okay. either I or someone like me is going to get fished, okay. is going to have their credentials stolen, is going to have access to some part of their machine, then that paranoid mindset helps me protect both against the internal attack and it helps protect against the external attack. Sure. Because in both cases, what that attacker is trying to do is leverage the power of the human. Because as we've talked about in some of the other threads of this, yes, we're talking about technology, yeah. but ultimately that technology manifests itself in a human form. And so the place that I go on this, and, and I'll, I'll turn this back into a question, but the, the place that we've gone with this is to say that as we're thinking about designing our systems 
and designing our distributed systems within the company, designing the web services, mm -hmm. designing the modules that make up uh, our system. If we think about that architecture from a security standpoint and we ask the question, what permissions does this piece of code need? So this piece of code needs to be able to read the user database. It doesn't need to write to the user database. This piece of code needs to be able to check the transaction log to see what sales have happened. It has no need to write to the database to add new transactions. So if we start analyzing our code from that standpoint, that tells us this piece of code that needs to only read, it should be on a different box than this piece of code needs to read and write. that needs to read and write. And while we think of, we're thinking about this as the design of distributed architectures, and we're thinking about it as the design of web services, this, this approach boils back to a conversation I had probably 15 years ago with the then chief information security officer at Fidelity Investments. So this is a guy whose job it is to protect untold billions of dollars of liquid assets. And doesn't sound relaxing. Does <laughs> at the time we were having this conversation, he had a pager. This was back in the days of the pagers. Oh, pager and he kept checking his pager. And I remember him explaining to me that they had a guy who they could tell was sniffing around their networks okay. and probing their networks, and they knew that he was getting close to staging an attack. Ooh. And there was a continuous monitoring for trying to figure out when and how is this threat going to attack our system. And uh, so, yes, this, this kind of real-time defenses is, is, a, uh, is a challenging and risky thing. So, so what came out in that conversation, which uh, I think is well-known to folks in many aspects of the financial database world, is... If you are building logging systems for tracking what happens in your system, you do not allow the person who can read and analyze the logs to write to the logs. Because if you are the person who is reading and analyzing that log for fraud, and you have the ability to write to the log, you have the ability to commit fraud Sure. that you can make sure can't be detected. Yeah. Sure. So we took that concept into our architecture and said, we're going to cleave up all of our machines so that no one piece of code can commit fraud. Yeah, so it sounds it's just like, I'm like, like thinking of it, it sounds like to me, it's like uh, trying to eliminate that single point of failure. Like, if, if, okay, you got in, but now there's another barrier. And another barrier and another barrier. It's not like once you get in, okay, I'm fine. Is that is that so of... yeah, so what you're talking about there is a defense in depth yeah, okay. kind of approach. Okay. 
And you also want to have a defense in depth okay. to make it hard to get to the machine okay. that can do the thing. But if you are also splitting things up so that once I have penetrated through the defense in depth to get to the machine that has access to that data, if that machine doesn't actually have the necessary credentials to both uh, create a fraudulent transaction and hide the activity that created that fraudulent transaction. Okay. So the, for me, from my perspective, I'm kind of viewing it from uh, check and balance, right? Because you don't want to give a one guy, your genius, your brain, whatever it is that you're trying to create so much of your entire core business. So you want to break it down to where maybe portion of your organization is, say, hacked, but not all of them are demolished. So you have to create this whole engineer or artifact this whole entire organization into pieces so you're, you're only exposing some aspect of it basically you're prepared to see it's going to happen but how is it going to affect me in that kind of that porch that companies or countries oh, or company or countries that are highly regulated for example you're talking about China and that's how their approach is a very paranoia porch they are expecting for people to sort of you know, get into their system and they're creating how much of it is, how much of, for them, it's like how much information can get out of us. And that's where they really focus is they don't want to provide information. They don't want people being accessible to outside world, but they want to provide people uh, infrastructure to actually do their business and grow. And they do want the computing and they do want all this new technology, but they don't want information out. So they kind of create this whole tradition. So this is kind of a unique way of looking at it, like check and balance, make sure you don't give one power to anyone. So it, it is very much a checks and balances kind of approach. Uh, you can also think of it as a double entry bookkeeping where you have two different people doing the two aspects of the double entry bookkeeping to, to track what's going on. Where it gets progressively either more interesting or more challenging in today's system environment is that we also have a big trend that's going on right now to uh, what's called DevOps, developer operations, which is about thinking of those machines, those, those cloud-based machines, um, not as sort of the big machine, but it's just I hit a button and some code spun up this server and loaded it with the code and it's running and doing that process and I made some changes and so I'm just going to spin up a new machine. Uh, that's a really powerful way of turning your architecture into code and making it so that you can dynamically create and, and destroy these servers on the fly. It's, it's really the right way to be doing cloud operations. The challenge now is that there is a process that just spun up that server in the cloud. Yeah, so you could spin up something that had the things together that you didn't want together, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. And so if my DevOps process that spins up all of those servers, if it itself has the credentials 
to spin up all of these beautifully isolated boxes, then I haven't actually set up the system that I want. Okay, so there's this trend in DevOps that like there's a tr- there's a trend in security and a trend in DevOps just kind of like era- like like tearing away at the foundation of some of the new the security principles. Is that exactly? Yeah. And and this is where Whoops. we go from thinking just about security by itself to thinking about this approach this this idea of uh, protecting against yourself. Protecting against the idea that your credentials are going to be stolen at some point. Yeah. And so the way that's happened, that's handled in a lot of industries. And, and so just to, to recap, that developer operations person who just launched those servers, it is that person's credentials yeah. that are the things that unlock all of your vulnerabilities. And so um, the way that's handled, for instance, in nuclear weapon launch facilities... That's an important one. ...is you have a two-key system where there are operations that require multiple people to sign off on it. Now, that doesn't completely protect the system, but it just means... That Dave, your credentials need to be stolen, yeah. and Eric's need to be stolen. At the same time to do this. In order for this to happen, and that makes it more difficult, yes. but doesn't doesn't block it entirely. And so there's some some nice tech that both Microsoft and Amazon include in their cloud offerings. Uh, Microsoft's is called Key Vault. I forget what Amazon calls, okay. and it's a it's a hardware secured system for storing credentials. Mm-hmm. And in principle, those hardware secured systems allow for the multi party approval of these operations. Okay. okay. That's kind of good to know that they are sort of creating, working on it. But it is, okay, it's kind of something like as a company or as a organization, for example, government, if that's a huge concern, right? If they get into hack, do they get a lot of, a lot of intelligence will be stolen. So this is a good way of course to actually see it. I was, I was thank you. Uh, a lot of things that uh, my various developer friends and or people that have worked for me or with me have said now make a lot more sense. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's um, security for me. Like the way I'm looking at it from um, security was like from my perspective or the way I'm looking at it is okay. Someone, some other government or just from my experience of travel, like how they just trying to control the mass, the society, and that's how I'm viewing it. So security from this perspective is like you as a business have to think about the same kind of things in different roles, in different concepts, and find ways to protect yourself. Even if you're a small company, big company, it means the same things, having, you know, set your, setting your organization up for success. So similar to what a government of U.S. would do, any other government of the world would do for their own country or their society. So it kind of is... Huge deal now that we want to we want to make the this world sort of globalize it and open the world. But 
and, and I can say, as, as someone who works with these with the data at the, you know, I've I've tended to have access to you know deeply granted, usually event or item level as a, as appropriate for the system uh, data. I've been surprised over the years how many people have casually just asked me for things that would certainly get me fired and are probably crimes. Like, just like, oh well, you have oh well, blah blah. No, uh, <laughs> but it's so common that you know, especially early on. Like I think you know nowadays people are, things are getting more locked down. It's more in the consciousness that that is theft, etc. Um, but I was surprised how often when I started working in big data, people just came up to me and were like, well, Dave, could you get me this? And I'd be like, well, no. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know. The people we, aspect of things. Yeah, just, right. just like, just, for, just people I knew, not like, not like, yeah. you know, like some criminal enterprise no, or something no, like that. It's, just like, it's, you know, I mean, there's so much shocked. of what take place happen at the bar discussion, right? When yeah. people are drunk, they share a little much more than they need to. <laughs> Well, the, we, we talked about a lot of those sort of security architectures pieces in the context of big systems and technology and stuff that's, you know, hard and embedded in code. But this same thing is a risk that organizations face at the purely human level. So if you are, uh, if you're in accounts payable, at a mid-size or large organization, uh, there is a non-trivial risk today that at some point where your CEO of your, uh, your company is at a major trade show, at a major event, you will get a text message, you will get an email message from them about this urgent need to pay this invoice that has come up at this conference. And they are completely unreachable because they're at the conference and you have this email from them instructing you to transfer uh, $5 million or $15 million into an account in the Cayman Islands. And this is a vector through which companies <laughs> so are scary. losing yeah. significant amounts of money. Wow. And it's the same issue. Yeah, it right? Yeah. It's happening that there's a human voice or there's a human readable email. But yeah. what you're doing is you're saying, we've stolen the identity of someone in the company. We have, we have forged their identity, and we're putting a message into the system mm-hmm. that has put our company at risk. And so looking for ways to inject these kinds of uh, safety measures, these two key operations, without bogging your company down. Sure, that's wow. the thing, right? You don't want everything to have to take uh, seven different people be in the same yeah. room authorizing. Then all the benefits of it go out the window. Well, I think what he mentioned is like as far-fetched as this sound, um, say we all deal with the global world. It's not that uncommon that we deal with, you know, bankers and stuff from Cayman Island. Really, I mean, from a different perspective, like, oh, Cayman Island, that sounds fishy. I don't want to send that. It's actually quite a bit common. So this is something an accountant really can look over and say, well, so-and-so says so. It looks like there are, you know, vendors that we work with that actually do have accounts in these places. So it's easy to actually manipulate the system because it's not as... 
you know, it's not as crazy. The world is not as like I would. I remember when you know before like j- joining company that are as global as Boeing. Like yeah, Cayman Island fishies. Yeah, sure. I don't think so. Like and I get those email from you know Nigerians from UK and I'm like yeah, this sounds like I did not <laughs> I did not win that two million dollar. But you come into the, you know global world today. Cayman is pretty established and pretty much go to places for a lot of you know companies and people in business in the world. So. It also makes sense, um, uh, you know, how hard it is. You know, you're like, hey, I'm trying to, I know this person, this company, I don't have their private email address. I've met them. I'm trying to figure out how to contact them. And it's always like so hard to find somebody's email address. It's like, well, why is it so hard? Don't they? Oh, because I could be sending them an email. You know, I could, if I knew their email, I could be asking them to put $5 million in my Cayman account. Yeah. Yeah. That could be. <laughs> <laughs> like, or you won, you know, you won something and I need your so information yeah. and it's kind of it, it's a bit scary from that perspective because that could happen easy. This is scary, and you don't need seven people because I'll take weeks to get accomplished, and you do need two people. This is why I live that. in a hut without electricity. <laughs> <laughs> but a really fat, a fat internet pipe. Right? Outside of that fat internet pipe, there's like no electricity. <laughs> All right, so we, we wanted to cover the security yeah. architecture side of things. So clearly there's yeah. a lot to think about, wow. and I'm sure a lot of business opportunities as well, thinking yeah. about the dark side of the cloud. I mean, I think it's so easy to get addicted to the excitement. And like Kafaya yeah. said in the previous episode, as far as people just being so motivated to do these things online, yeah. there's also people who are so motivated to do evil and malicious things online. And uh, I, 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 I had the thought about a minute ago, the question was, Will there be, I hate this question, will there be a time when there's more effort spent on trying to control and regulate what we've created because we know it's just a mess? You know, we've just created a nightmare disaster that we all then, we all have to fight this fire. We're, We're actively building this fire now and we think it's great. And then at some point it's like we all need to fight this fire we've built. Anyway, and well, some yeah. people be Thank fighting it, and other people be on the other side of the fire pouring gasoline. <laughs> <and> <laughs> exactly, and, and pushing trees in. Yeah, that's our future. Yeah. It's 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 in some ways it's akin to uh, the transition that happened in the SCADA, uh, SCADA uh, the the security of power plants and chemical facilities and so on and so forth, where. Originally, those systems were basically secure because everything was so arcane and so uh, unique and so forth. But over time, the the attackers developed enough ways to go through and probe them and figure out, and that became a type of attack that you could do at scale. And some of what I think we're starting to see is that that kind of fraud where you call someone up, pretend to be the CEO, uh, et cetera, that's an attack that could have been just as prevalent in 1911 Mm -hmm. as it is today, but it is more prevalent today because it is more easy, more feasible to gain the necessary information and to inject yourself in in ways that commit the fraud effectively so that scalability is making some of these risks more realizable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, wow. Yeah, great. Okay, so, so this has been about security architecture. We're in our series about IT management, and that was uh, section three. And in the next episode... 
Uh, we'll be talking about the role of the CIO and how a leader type of person can control and manage and balance some of these things between the risk and downside aspect versus the opportunity side. So we'll explore that in the next episode. Thanks for listening. This is the Apps Jack podcast. You've been listening to the Apps Jack podcast. The creator and host of this podcast is Eric Veal. It was recorded, engineered, and produced by Christian Harris. You can contact us and find all our show notes on our website at appsjack.lipson.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. If you like what you hear on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more by going to appsjack.com meetup to get more information on this month's topic and the corresponding meetup group that Eric hosts in Bellevue, Washington each month. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month for our next episode of the Apps Jack podcast. This has been a Seatown Media production. Find out more at seatownmedia.com, S-E-A hyphen townmedia.com.